I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hey, we're back with another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined by Inquire. Uh, and I'm going to stop myself right there because... Yes, we're uh, all one team now, Murph. We're all one team. Uh, Philadelphia Inquire. It, it's really weird, actually. Uh, my like my parents now read what I write because I'm in the Inquire. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They, they, always... weren't, they wouldn't stoop to such lowbrow trash as the Daily News before. Well, they they get the. I mean, they get the Sunday Inquire. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't say they they don't they weren't reading me before, but they're actually <laughs> like seeing my my awful awful headshot in the paper, staring back at them when they get the Sunday paper. There's now. no such thing as a good headshot. Nobody has a good headshot. I actually feel, I, I feel like uh, I've gained some political capital by now being in the Inquirer because, uh, you know, it, it's not just uh, our, hum- our humble little 30,000 circulation base that's that's reading me. Yeah, now it's now we're up to what, like 130,000. The so emails are pouring in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so anyway, uh, that's a long way of saying I am no longer Daily News columnist, David Murphy. I'm Daily News slash Inquire slash Philly.com columnist, but that's an awful mouthful. Philadelphia Media Network is kind of the umbrella term. Yeah, but like that's not. But nobody knows what that is. Yeah, we I mean, need better like we, branding. Yeah, that's not a good brand. That's not our brand, you know? No, it's not. Um, we got to change that. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to Matt Breen. Uh, he is down in Atlanta covering the Philadelphia Phillies. We're going to talk to him about Reese Hoskins, mm-hmm. who sounds like should be coming up. Might even be up by the time you're listening to this podcast. It's it's certainly looking that way, yes. Um, and we're going to talk about Odubel Herrera, the Phillies' plans for the offseason, their pitching staff. Right. Zach um, Eflin. Zach Eflin. First, though, we're going – Mike and I, we're, we're going to try to catch up on – the Eagles, because we I don't think we've actually had a podcast. We have not. Schedule has not allowed us to have a it podcast since training camp began. Uh and no one no one said anything. So Yeah. <laughs> so we know how much you all missed us. Uh so we're back and I've been to I think four or five training camp practices. Mm-hmm. Um been reading every day. And I, w- I was just going to try to run down what we've missed and, yeah, and try to figure out if, if Mike agrees. Well, we were going to kind of play, like, do you buy the hype? Yeah, basically. okay. That's a good way to put it. Um, with certain people, certain players who there's been a lot of discussion about uh, since camp began. Um, some of it good, some of it not so good. Um, so we'll see how we kind of match up here. Yeah, because like, so so the guy who brought this up, I, I was cu- Nelson Aguilar. Mm-hmm. I, I am just, the hype bothers me to... to <laughs> Uh, you are not a Nelly fan. No, I, that's the wrong way to put it. I've never been. Just, a, no, no, no. It's the right way to put it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I've never been a Nelson Aguilar fan. It, what bothers me is that everyone's convinced he's now all of a sudden uh, going to be catching ninety passes out of the slot because of what we've seen. You know, mostly what we've seen in minicamp. Yeah, um, Zach Berman made a really good point on Twitter. He kind of he doesn't often do this, but he went on kind of a make good points. No, wow, you didn't let me Zach, finish. Man. Let me finish. Zach, come on and defend your honor. He often makes good points. He does not often make them in tweet storm fashion, but he fired off about five or six tweets in a row dealing with the Jordan Matthews Nelson Aguilar question, and his point was um, that just because a certain player in a certain position has had a certain production does not necessarily mean that you can pluck that player out, put in another player and ex- in the same position, and get and expect the same level of production. 
that that sort of thinking is what led the Eagles to get rid of Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy, and they ended up with lesser people and players in those spots. From what I have seen of Aguilar in training camp so far, I think has he performed beyond expectations? Yes. You have to take, A, the expectations into consideration, and B, you have to take the people who are trying to stop him from catching passes in practice into consideration. Um, This is probably the worst set of cornerbacks in the NFL. Nobody denies that. So when Nelson Aguilar gets five feet behind Patrick Robinson, it isn't the achievement necessarily that everybody might make it out to be. Uh, I was at practice on Monday when they were practicing inside the bubble, and he made one catch uh, of, a, of a Carson Wentz pass, pass kind of a deep slant uh, at the lip of the end zone. And it was a catch, but there was no hitting on the play. There was at least one safety within five feet of him. And he caught the ball by allowing it to hit his chest, carry him off his chest, and he kind of juggled it with his arms. It was exactly the kind of catch that in a real game he would not have made because his he would have been drilled by a safety or, and he wouldn't have been given the opportunity to juggle the ball in the middle of a field like that. Um, so that play to me stands out. That looked exactly like the Aguilar that we saw for most of last season. So I'm not as optimistic about this idea that, oh, well, you just plug Nelson Aguilar into the slot, and because he's playing well in practice this year, everything will be swell. But that's the whole no- the thing. Is It's not like he, he played poorly in practice the last couple of years. Right. He's a good practice player. The problem... I think Aguilar's problem is just like he's not he's not built to to last in the NFL. Like I don't think he can hang. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think he has the body, and I don't think he has the mentality to make up for the body. You know, like this isn't about dro- like Nelson. It's not about Nelson Aguilar dropping wide open passes. I mean, he's had a couple of them mm-hmm. um, over the years, but it's just him like disappearing. Um, you know, like he just can't get open, and he's mm-hmm. not he's just not a guy who makes ca- tough catches in traffic who can fight through. Um, physical coverage, like you said, all the stuff that shows up in actual games. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, look, Nelson Aguilar has talent. There's no doubt about that. But you also have to keep in mind, like, I mean, this guy, he was the number 20 pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. And you just don't get a lot of production out of the number 20 pick. Like, and he got, people always, people talk about Nelson Aguilar as if he was this huge bust. And yeah, he's, he's definitely, you know, underperformed his draft position and, and, you know, there were more expectations than this. But, like, Freddie Mitchell, you can run down a list of wide receivers who have not turned out. Like, right. that, you're taking a flyer on a guy. Anybody, any wide receiver who lasts the number 20 mm-hmm. has serious questions about his game. Um, so, you know, that's not that's not to say that the Eagles could have made a better pick um, or that Nelson Aguilar is any better, you know, than we've been giving him credit for. It's just saying that, you know, your expecta- the expectations a lot of times in this town, especially with regards to the Eagles, are way, yeah. way, way better. Uh, you know, out of line with reality. And and the next guy, Alshon Jeffrey, is a guy you'll be working on a profile of him at some point yeah. coming up. Yeah, I'm um, heading to uh, South Carolina next week, actually. Like, I, I think Alshon Jeffrey, I think the expectations for Alshon Jeffrey are way out of touch with what the reality of his career has been. Uh, what do you think? I think, um, well, first of all, I think they are treating him like uh, an elite number one receiver insofar as if he's even, you know, mildly sore it seems they are going to hold him off I mean we may not see him play Thursday night in Green Bay um, they are really being cautious with him which speaks to how how highly they regard him uh, and how important they feel he is to their season um, again you know 
it's practice. But when you see him in practice, you see, I think, the physical attributes of an elite receiver. You see a guy who catches the ball with his hands. The ball doesn't move when it hits his hands. Now, I think it's a matter of if he is on the field, I think he's going to help Carson Wentz out a lot. The question I have, of course, is how often is he going to be on the field? Um, do these soft tissue injuries keep coming up? Is this going to be a situation where once the season begins, um, he's out there every week no matter what? Or um, do these things that the Eagles are holding him out for now because they want him healthy in the regular season continue to crop up once the regular season begins? I I have no issue with any of that. Uh, but... I just, no, I mean, I, I just want to be clear, like... Alshon Jeffrey will help Carson Wentz if he's on the field. He will. He's much better than anything that they've had. But he's not an elite number one wide receiver in my like. He's not AJ Green. He's not Julio Jones. He's not um, Calvin Johnson. He's Antonio not. Brown. He's not Des Bryant. He's not Antonio Brown. He's he's he, he's he has over the last two years. He's played eight games and twelve games. Fifty-four catches for eight hundred seven yards. Fifty-two catches for eight hundred twenty-one yards. His catch percentage has fallen. In each of the last four seasons, 60.1%, 58%, 57%, 55% last year. Um, I just don't know. I, like, I think people are remembering. Do you have to take the presence of Smoke and Jay Cutler into consideration in those numbers? I think that was – Jay Cutler would just lock on. I think that's more reason for skepticism because Jay Cutler would just lock on to Alshad Jeffrey. Like, that's why his numbers were so high. Um, look, Alshon Jeffrey, he's going to be a very valuable addition to this offense, but like people are talking about someone on the, someone on the sidelines, yeah, put it this way. Mm-hmm. I was on, I was at training camp practice, um, two days ago mm-hmm. or yesterday, uh, they're doing their walkthrough and somebody was saying, so a media member on mm-hmm. the sideline, um, was saying, uh, with reference to the cornerbacks, they're like, oh yeah, the Eagles are going to lose a lot of games, 42, 35 this year. Like that's the expectation out of that I'm hearing out of the media and out of the fan base is that this Eagles offense is going to be a top like Brian Baldinger I think said this was going to be a top five offense in the NFL. Wow. Um, and it, it's just I don't know. I think that I think that you're setting yourself up for disappointment if that's that's what you're going into the season thinking. You know? Like, yeah. I, I again like I think it's realistic to say Alshon Jeffrey will help this offense. It is not realistic to say to think Alshon Jeffrey is is something that he has not been, uh, that he's only really been in one year of his career. Well, I'm going to tell him you said that. <laughs> uh, but I will say this. I think Torrey Smith, I think the expectations are probably a little low for him. Like, I think Torrey Smith could be a very, very big part of this offense. I, he's he he's impressed me more than a lot of players in practice. Um, he's not just a, first of all, he still has his speed. That was mm-hmm. the number one thing I was looking at. Uh, and Torrey Smith has been getting open deep, you know, all. And as you said, like a lot of a lot of how good it, it it's tough. People always ask, how does Carson Wentz look? Yeah. He looks great. Of course, yeah. I've been I've, from day one. I've been a big Carson Wentz supporter. Um, he's looked exactly as I expect him to look at this stage of his of his career. I think he's 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 progressing nicely through his developmental stages. Yada, yada, yada. But it's really hard to tell how good he looks uh, because it's all relative to the guys on the other side of the yeah. ball. And I'll say this. I think the cornerbacks have looked awful more than anything else yes i i completely agree with you about the cornerbacks and i think it skews everything else um that we say about the offense um i do you can't you can't look at this stuff in practice it, there, there are things you can pinpoint in a practice uh in training camp at the nfl level 
Um, and there are things that you just kind of you have to wait to see in games. And one of the things I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that you notice in these practices is how open the Eagles receivers are yeah. all the time. And while I would argue that Jeffrey is probably, I would argue Jeffrey's a better player than you're well, Jeffrey saying. Jeffrey has in practice. So he hasn't yeah, really been open. But my point is, um, you know, you can get a skewed perspective of how good these Eagles receivers actually are because I really believe their defensive backs are that bad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the flip side of that is true, too. I've, I've been in a, you know, we, you and I have been in Eagles training camps when Troy Vincent and, and Bobby Taylor or Sheldon Brown and Lito Shepard are the corners. I've seen Darrell Rivas in training camp where nobody can get open. And when a guy makes a catch against him, you're like, oh, okay, that stands out because it's Darrell Rivas. Um, none of that is happening in this camp because the Eagles receivers generally are running free um, you know, anytime there's a scrimmage or a passing drill of any kind. Well, yeah, so Torrey Smith, I, like, I don't necessarily Torrey think... Torrey Smith, I, I... I don't think Torrey... Yeah, what do you think? I, I, I think he's okay. Um, I think he's okay. Uh, you what know, does that mean, okay? I, it means, while I understand that he serves a valuable function at his best, the you know, going deep to, to you know, create space and, and catch a deep ball, which obviously the Eagles need more of in their offense. Um, I mean, I, I don't know... I, like maybe I'm just I'm predisposed to like the style of receiver that a guy like a Jordan Matthews is more. I know that he's playing in the slot, which is not as valuable as playing in the outside. Um, I will know. say I think Torrey Smith has more receiving yards than Jordan Matthews this year. Okay, we'll see that. I'll I'll take that bet. All right, I'll take that. Bet. Let's bet. What do we want to bet? A cheesesteak? Do you eat cheesesteaks? I do. Um, we'll all bet right. a cheesesteak. We'll bet a cheesesteak. Okay. Uh, I think Torrey Smith. Well, I do not think he will. Ha- he will be 2013 Torrey Smith. 65 catches. 1,128 yards. Um, I do think you could... I, I, I think he'll have more than 100 targets this year. Okay. Put it that way. All right. That's um, fair. I'll take that bet. I'll yeah. Take that bet. The, the guys I'm kind of interested to see... Like, like... I think that this has been... my One, one of my takeaways from trading camp thus far is that the tight ends are a lot less involved than they have been in the past. Like, you mm. see the wide receivers a lot more. Um, so, I'll be interested to see what... Zach Ertz's production is like like uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if if he if he has a huge drop off the the transit it's it's interesting you point that out because with everything related to a Doug Peterson offense and Doug Peterson coach team Andy Reid functions as an an antecedent to that so that that transition for the Eagles under Andy Reid happened really from 2003 to 2004 when you went from the focal points of the offense really are Brian Westbrook, Deuce Staley, Chad Lewis, mm. even L.J. Smith to an extent as a rookie, um, and the production they were able to get out of those guys to, in 2004, Terrell Owens. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a lesser extent, Todd Pinkston on the outside who could provide a, a deep ball every now and again. Um, I wonder if you're seeing that earlier. You know, last year, clearly the tight ends, um, you know, and the backs were the focal point of the offense. And now maybe... You know, like I said, that shift is happening this season where if Jeffrey's healthy and Smith is there and assuming they keep Matthews, um, that they become the more of the focal point. Are you buying the Donnell Pumphrey hype? I got to see him in a game, man. I yeah, remember I Ryan Moats. I remember, Dude, Ryan, Motes. Small. I remember Ryan Motes. I thought Ryan Motes was going to be terrific. Um, and I liked him as a, as a person. Like, I got to know him terrific pretty, pretty well. Terrific or super duper? Um, golly gee, Williker's just awesome. <laughs> um, but he... He couldn't get on the field. Couldn't catch the ball. Um, couldn't return kicks. My thing with Pumphrey is he looked like he's built like Deshaun Jackson, yeah. not like Brian Westbrook. Yeah. Um, 
or not Darren, even like Darren not Sproles. Like Darren Sproles. Uh, like it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting because the guy. You hit Darren Sproles, it's like it's like crashing into a fire hydrant. Like yeah, exactly. And Dar- you know, Pumphrey has got to show us that he's that guy. He's that kind of guy. Um, that being said, as I said, I think Wentz is I think Wentz is definitely poised for a big year. Um, relatively it, speaking, yeah, it was. Th- I would recommend if if you get a chance, read uh, Jeff McClain's story, uh, which appeared on our site. I guess. Tuesday night and is now there Wednesday um, about the the steps that Wentz is taking to try to uh, elongate his career by warming up. It's really kind of an interesting look at what goes on day to day when you're a football player. Um, it was kind of an inside look that you don't often get about the routine that Wentz does to try to keep his arm loose and limber to avoid the sort of things that happened last season, you know, sore elbow, that sort of stuff. Um, it was a really good piece by Jeff. So before we pivot to the Phillies, one last Eagles question, uh, which I'm curious to get your your thinking on. Has your projected record changed at all uh, since the start of training camp, since the start of... Not not really. I My feeling has always been that they're going to be around 8-8, eight and eight, um, you know, within a game of that. I know that's... You're talking about three different records. They could be 7-9, and 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and seven, mm-hmm. but the division games matter so much, and... What gives me such hesitation is the other three teams in the NFC East win the key win a key matchup against the Eagles, which is wide receivers against the Eagles cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and even with the Redskins and to an extent with the Cowboys, you have tight ends who are going to, you know, do damage against the Eagles as well. So unless the Eagles pass rush is so good that it can cover up for those corners, I think they're going to struggle in the division, um, and I think that's going to lead to, more likely than not, an eight and eight sort of record. I mean, I don't know how you feel. I, I'm not getting the ten and six vibe yet. Um, you no, know, but I, I, I think just looking at their schedule, um, I think I'm leaning more towards nine and seven than I was before. Uh, again, we've we've got a long, long way to go. But like, I I think they I think they it's a really difficult first three games, and I think that. They're going to be heading into that Giants game in Week Three, zero and two, needing to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that seems like a game that they a lot of times win. Yeah, um, but I, then, I really feel like the the opener against Washington is a key key telltale sort of game. I really do because they that that place is a house of horrors for them every single year it seems. And yeah. if they go in there and they win that game, then all of a sudden, they, I, I feel like the complexion of the season could change. But Maybe I think that they've me. got like. I think that they've got like three automatic wins on their schedule in the Bears, the Niners, and the Rams. I don't think the Panthers are very good this year. Um, I think the Broncos are taking. I mean, mm. the Broncos could be starting Paxton Lynch. Your favorite? Um, yeah, uh, I'm not a Paxton Lynch fan. Uh, I think, you know, like I, I wouldn't put it this way. I would not. I, I see them heading to those final three games of the season: Giants, Raiders, Cowboys, still alive. Um, mm. In the playoff race, and with a chance at a ten and ten and okay. six finish, you're more optimistic than I am. Yeah, it's more like I I think that the cornerback position is a fatal flaw on this team right now. But I I think that they're um, I I think that the offense we're not we're not taking inj- injuries are also yeah I I need to keep on reminding myself that like yeah. they have no depth on this team. No. one offensive line injury could could crush them. Um, Depending one on injury, which one it is, one injury anywhere on the defense. No, I, don't, I think I think literally one one injury 
pretty much t- the tackles for sure. Yeah, yeah, I would um, agree with the tackles. I'm not sure sure in the interior line. Okay. I think with with you know Wisniewski there is a nice option. Yeah, but he's he's they they went they, they went all season trying to avoid playing yeah. Wisniewski last year. Yeah. Um, and I think one injury really anywhere on the defense mm. um, could really really yeah. hurt them. But anyway, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Phillies. Um, what is your? Are you pro bat flip or anti bat flip? I uh, am. I am generally pro bat flip. Uh, I like the bat yes. flip. I I enjoy the bat flip very much. I, I like it a lot. You know who flipped his bat sometimes, and people forget this. Chase Utley flipped his bat. Did he really? Sometimes. Go back and watch Game Five of the 2009 World Series. He hits a three-run homer in the first inning off AJ Burnett. Flips his bat. Well, let's bring in a guy who actually knows what he's talking about. Uh, Matt Breen. That would be a, a welcome change to this podcast. Matt Breen is broadcasting live from the beautiful Renaissance Midtown uh, Atlanta. Matt, what what is the weather like down there and what are you eating? Um, because that's what I miss most about the road is eating. Well, today I haven't been outside. I slept in today because I've been waking up early the past few days. I slept until 10, woke up, and I didn't want to go out because I knew I had to do this podcast. So I've been eating some fruit snacks I bought yesterday and uh, a yogurt. So Matt, and a lot of so not a great Atlanta food. But you're eating a lot like my so six-year-old I'll, son. I'll make you proud. Yeah. So one thing the world might not know about Matt Breen is his he has the palate of a twelve-year-old, <laughs> uh, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> no, no. So speaking of twelve-year-olds, one day in spring training this year, I went over to Matt Breen's luxurious. Uh, 55 and older <laughs> domicile condo uh, in a 55 and older community on Clearwater Bay to play some Madden football, uh, which I the cheese summarily smoked Matt Breen oh. uh, in back-to-back games. But Hashtag smoke cheese. It was like four games. That, I, was, that was pretty embarrassing. I was getting a, smoking Matt Breen in Madden football. Um, Breen, by the way, is, grew up with this in this generation of video games. I, you just I am picked the old it up. Fogey who yeah. just picked it up and proceeded to smoke him. Um, smoking Breen got me a bit parched in the middle of it, mm-hmm. so I asked him if he had anything to drink, and he said, "Yeah, in the fridge." So I go in the fridge, <laughs> and he's got like <laughs> Dr Pepper and High C. Did he is have it? any? Did he have any Huggies? You remember the little plastic? Uh... No, Dr Pepper. <laughs> Pib. Oh, that's right. It was, it was not even Dr. Pepper. It was, Mis- it was Mr. Mr. Pib. Pib? Oh, yeah. my God. What, they were, they were out of tab? <laughs> what? You didn't have any jolt? Uh, Pib's awesome. When you're in a state that has Pib, you have to get Pib. Yeah. You can't find that up north. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, like his, his entire condo was like potato chips and <laughs> Mr. Pib. So, anyway. Uh, last night after the game, I cooled off with a soda importer from England, and I found at the, uh, the food store right around the corner from the hotel. Oh yeah, well, Iron Brew. It's like rare. You can't you can't find that everywhere. Man, so you is it like a craft soda? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's like an IPA That's soda, awesome. yeah. It's great. It uh, looks like a beer though. It's like orange. So when I bought it, I was waiting to get carded cuz I didn't ever, know if the cashier knew what it was. Do you know what beer looks like cuz it's not orange? <laughs> well, it was it's like that yellowy. It's not like bright orange. It's kind of like a brown. Mm. It, it looks like a beer, seriously. Mm. Seriously. Okay. You know what, Matt? You're doing something right in life, and I'm not. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm just going to lay off on that. Um, so anyway, let's, let's, <laughs> let's get to about, a... Let's talk about yeah. Reese Hoskins, because it's a name that's come up on this podcast in the past, and it sounds like the Phillies could be uh, getting ready for a promotion. Um, is that imminent? Yeah, it's definitely imminent. I would say, and, and this is 
just looking at the schedule last week when you knew he was going to come up in August, obviously they're not going to – it doesn't make sense to fly him out to the West Coast when they were in Anaheim or Colorado. And then I think it just makes sense to wait till Thursday. They're home for a homestand, and you bring up Reese Hoskins on Thursday before the Mets game. He's going to come up this month. So I think that's the perfect day to my mind when that he comes up. All right, so that would be uh, Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday. That would be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps the day of most people listening to this podcast. Right. Um, which stinks because this podcast might get dated, but whatever. We'll uh, keep it fresh. So here's my question for you, Matt Breen. Uh, we heard a lot from Pete McCannon um, that if there was a way for Reese Hoskins to play left field or Tommy Joseph to play left field, one of them would be playing left field, and they weren't. Uh what changed? Aaron Altair went to the DL, and now you have an opportunity to actually play him in left field. So it's more important that you're getting his bat up to Philly. The left field is just like it's just a way to get him to Philly. It's not a long-term solution. It's probably just the rest of the season, and then next year you figure it out that you know he's your starting first baseman, and Tommy Joseph can continue to play this year and play himself into a trade or whatever you do with Tommy Joseph, but. You know, if the Phillies have their way, Reese Hoskins is your first baseman next year, and this is just a way to get him into the majors before he's your starting first baseman. Had, it had, just so happens he's going to have to play left field. Before you do that, let me yeah. let me remind everybody who Reese Hoskins is, just Go. in case you, you forget. He is a 24-year-old first baseman, right-handed hitter? Right-handed hitter. Right-handed hitter down at AAA Lehigh Valley, um, the best power-hitting prospect in the organization. Uh, currently hitting 280 with a 383 on base percentage, 571 slugging percentage, and 28 home runs in about 500 plate appearances for the Iron Pigs. That's a 954 OPS. That's good. Uh, he Larry has. I would say that's good, real good. What have you heard about the way the way he's been swinging the bat, Matt? Um, ha- has he cooled off at all from his start? It does not look like it, according to the numbers. I thought perhaps there was a little stretch there where he was not swinging well, but but. Um, that does not appear to be the case. Yeah, he had, um, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago, he dipped a little bit for like, you know, a 10-game stretch. And you're thinking, oh, is this when he cools off? And just like that, he snapped right out of it and came back. And I think that's good to see that, you know, he didn't just he didn't just go to AAA and have this tour season the whole way. He kind of did have a little bit of a struggle, pulled himself out of it, and proved that, you know, he can handle pitchers making adjustments to him because that's, you know, they've never seen him before, before this season. So, I think that was a good test, and it's time. He's proven everything he can at AAA. It's time to get him to the majors, and that's why you know it's so imminent that it's this weekend is probably the the time we get to see him. I mean, his numbers have been at pretty much the exact same at every level he's played. I mean, this guy has played in at Williamsport, Clearwater, Lakewood, Sydney, Australia, the Gigantes yep. in the in the Dominican Winter. I mean, this guy is is the worldwide. Australia, right? Worldwide. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. I've if been the, it does not matter if the pitches spin clockwise or counterclockwise it does not matter if the toilets spin <laughs> counterclockwise or clockwise reese hoskins has been mashing taters 286 374 529 that's the best thing you can say about that guy 903 ops in three minor leagues four minor league seasons since the phillies drafted him in the fifth round out of fresno was it fresno state cal state uh no one of those one um, of those uh cal- garden state not fr- Sacramento State. Cal State, 
Yes, Sacramento State. Uh, yeah, the the one Del that the, the one California State school system that never goes to the tournament. Anyway, Mike Sioski, yes. is this guy for real? Should they be getting him up here? And why are they hanging on to Tommy Joseph? Well, all right. The, you don't have to answer all those at once. Uh, he's absolutely ready. Uh, I think everybody wants to see him, including the Phillies themselves. My question, kind of for Matt, would be: In a best case scenario, Matt does. Do they keep playing? Like, how does this work the rest of the season? I mean, obviously, they're going to want to deal Joseph. So I would think that the best-case scenario would be he has a torrid September, puts up decent numbers, or at least improves the numbers he's put up so far this season to the point Are you talking about Joseph or Haas? Joseph. Okay. uh, And increases his trade value, however slightly. Um, How does that happen with Hoskins up here? Do you keep playing Hoskins in left field? Do you hold somebody else out of the lineup? Do you alternate Joseph and Hoskins? How do they solve this? You just keep playing them in left field because I think you're going to be able to do that with Altair. It's going to be out for a while. They're going to be cautious with him on the DL right now. The way he rushed himself back and then got hurt real quick, it it just, you know, Pete McCann said last night, they're they're going to be cautious. And I would expect him, we're in, what, August 10th right now? Mm Mm-hmm. If he comes back September 1st, that's early. That's less than two weeks. I'm going to put him if, – if he comes back, it'll be early September. So then you have like three weeks of the season to that then you could play Joseph and Hoskins in a timeshare at first base, or you could still even play Hoskins in a timeshare in the outfield with, you know, left or left field, where, you know, mix it up there. And I think you'll have plenty of ways to play him once Altair is back. But until Altair is back, he's your everyday left fielder. It was. Fun. I don't know if it was on and, the block. And yeah, best case scenario, Joseph does boost his trade value, and that's an easy situation to make to take care of in the offseason. So let me just play devil's advocate here. That's uh, so unlike you. A role that that is a misnomer. You know who is devil's advocate is Marcus Hayes, and I think he was playing it on Twitter last night. When he gets bored, he tends to start. Doing I, that. I wasn't on Twitter last night. Um, you weren't. I mean, like, you were not following the impending nuclear holocaust. No, blow by blow. When the when the flash when I start to see the beginning of the flash, shower. then I'll know it's coming. Uh, that's why. Like, there's. I don't know if any the the listening public can sense can can pick up on the sense of urgency in our voices, but like this could be our last podcast, <laughs> um, in the history of mankind. So like, the aliens might this. This could be what the aliens discover. Yeah, right. Uh, when they land on the the <laughs> frozen sheet of yeah. glass that is Earth in 500 years, and they wonder what in the hell, like. Who is this? You were going to play. You were going to play devil's advocate a who minute ago, and now you're you're standing in the studio like, here holding a no nuke sign. Beep-bop, beep-bop. Who is this orange man frozen in this White House? People, 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 people. Are, are you going to oh, play devil's advocate? Not or another not? Philly sports talk. Sorry, that was my alien impression. Um, Tommy, let's speak of impressions. Segway. Tommy Joseph has not been doing a very good impression of a major league hitter whom a team should be going out of the way to include in the lineup here lately. Um, so playing devil's advocate, I think on the broadcast last night, someone referred to Reese Hoskins as being blocked by <laughs> Tommy Joseph at first base. Tommy Joseph is currently hitting 247 with a 305 on base percentage, a 741 OPS. He has been 6% below league average hitter, according to OPS+. He, Plus. He I, has, I blame me. I wrote a column about him at the trade deadline, and he has fallen off a cliff since then. So put it on me. It, well, maybe it's impressive if he fell off a cliff and he's still in the lineup every day. Um, anyway, Breen, like, what are we expecting out of Tommy Joseph? Because if 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 
we're crediting consistency for Reese Hoskins at AAA. We need to credit consistency for Tommy Joseph at in the major league level, and he has been incredibly consistent over 750 plate appearances. He's been consistently average. So what's the upside? Well, he's about a year older than Reese Hoskins, so they're almost the same age. Yeah, except and, Tommy Joseph looks know, like he's like 10 years older. <laughs> what? Yeah. and He's like know, Benjamin he's Button. Really, over the course of – he's played a little bit more than a full season now. And, you know, if he could hit 30 home runs in a season, that's that's what you're looking for from Tommy Joseph. And and I think to say he's blocked, like Reese Hoskins is blocked by Tommy Joseph is wrong. He's more blocked by the fact that what else are you going to do with Tommy Joseph? You, you're going to send him to AAA or you're going to keep playing him and mm. hope that you can move him. So I don't think he's blocked by the player, but more blocked by the just the um, circumstance, the playing, the 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 role, the circumstances, yeah, the situation. Well, so so then the question is, why hasn't Tommy jo- or why why hasn't Reese Hoskins tried to play left field before this? I mean, um, like it just seems like I not- think they thought this would take care of itself um, over the summer, and and it didn't. Maybe they you know they thought they could trade Tommy Joseph or. Tommy Joseph would go into a wicked slump and, you know, then you, you, that's an easy thing to do and you send them down to AAA or, you know, you take care of it that way. But it really didn't take care of itself. Tommy Joseph's not, as you realize his numbers, they're not awful. They're not bad enough to, you know, to be dropped or anything. So I think it's just a strange situation. And now you you didn't want to put Reese Hoskins in left field until you ultimately had to. And that's what you, you you have to do now and you have a chance to, put him in left field for a temporary situation, not for a, a future role. And he can just play the rest of the season in left field. So like the most important question, he's athletic enough to play left field. I, people are, I know I see a lot of tweets about how ridiculous it is that he's an athletic guy. He's not this fat slob. He's a, you know, fit athletic dude. Um, I, I'm sure he can hold his own in left field. He might not win a gold glove, but I don't think he's going to be, you know, costing the Phillies any games in left field. You're probably following those Russian Twitter accounts. <laughs> fake, yeah. fake news, Breen. You got to you got to learn how to distinguish. So here's the most important question: According to Baseball Reference, Tommy Joseph's nicknames are Tojo, which makes sense, although I don't know that it's a great nickname. No. Or the Scorpion. Uh, is that true? The Scorpion. And if so, yeah, why why are you not writing Ryan about Howard. this every day? Because Ryan Howard uh, called him that last year when he first came up because. Tommy Joseph is from Arizona, even though he's really – he lives in Florida, and I think he grew up mostly in Florida. But he uh, – born in Arizona, so Ryan Howard called him the Scorpion. And I don't know how baseball reference gets, like, these nicknames because someone just tweeted it, but he he's never really been called Scorpion. Mm-hmm. And the baseball reference, like, jumped on it that quick. And it was, like, a week after he got in the majors, he put it up. So we were saying, like, we could just make up nicknames for guys and tweet, like, fake stuff like uh they're calling reese hoskins the the bomber and the next thing you know baseball reference yeah. is going to be the bomber and we could just like sell this nickname that'd be awesome we should do so this. it's kind of funny but he, he they are going to put this is they're going to put nicknames on jerseys sometime this season like across major league baseball i think mm-hmm. they're gonna announce it today and he said his nickname is going to be tojo so i guess that's what he goes by tojo are we going to see he hate me like we saw in the xfl that's what i would put on mine yeah what is that what you would bring or Soul Man. Remember the Philadelphia Soul fullback their first year had Soul Man on the back? Uh, yeah. So what do you expect out of Reese Hoskins once he gets up here? I, mean, I think I've asked you this before, uh, but no one really listens to this podcast, so I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, what do you, what, yeah, I what guess are some reasonable we, it's expectations? It's easy to say 
what we what you know all the stats you read off from the miners and how consistent it was why not you know expect that to transcend to the majors and that's what i'm expecting but i mean those are ryan howard numbers at the majors. you know i expected him to hit some tough spots at triple a after having an awesome season last year in the reading and he he didn't he cruised right through triple a so i'm expecting him to get to the majors and and i'm not dominate but but to be able to adapt and have a you know the exact same success he found in the minors and just adjust that to the major leagues. So let's let's kind of extrapolate this out a little bit, Matt. Let's let's begin next season for a second. Stop me when I get to something that you think sounds incorrect in in kind of an ideal Phillies world. Your outfield is from left field to right field. Nick Williams, Odubel Herrera, Aaron Altair, assuming good health. First base is Reese Hoskins. Second base, I would think, is Scott Kingery. Shortstop. Uh, probably. Uh, where are we talking? Like the full season or opening day? Or? I'm talking opening day. Let's we'll put Cesar at okay. second base. Who's your shortstop? Yeah, relax, Mike. Relax. Yeah, I'm sorry. Shortstop yeah. is. He's been trying to. He's been trying to. I you you have been selling this notion. <laughs> I'm like pushing for Scott Kingery no, after I wrote I, I, one like, 900 word column about him. in like June. Okay. All right. All right. So who, who's your? It's not just not opening day. All and right. Then, so for, so that would mean Freddie Galvis is your. Put Freddie Galvis at short, unless they move. J.P. Crawford's the shortstop of the future, but I, I'm not sure if he's the shortstop on opening day. Okay. Michael Franco with third. Who's your catcher? Andrew Knapp. Andrew Knapp, Jorge Alfaro, a timeshare catcher. And you're opening. And, and okay, the one ahead. thing about when you, the outfield a week ago was that was obvious, but I kind of think now with Altair being injured, I wouldn't be surprised if they. And, and know he's injury. You can say he's injury prone. He's been injured a lot now, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have to spend money somewhere because of how low the payroll is. That they add up a Michael Saunders type outfielder, you know, someone that actually well, they don't want to add a Michael Saunders type outfielder again. Yeah, that I mean that contract wise, and maybe he's a fourth outfielder more than a starting outfielder. But I would say the outfield right now is a little bit less clear than it was a week ago. What has the reaction been to Altiers? And I mean, like you said. Uh, I mean, Michael Saunders is actually an interesting guy to bring up in that regard because he he was a guy who just could never stay on the field uh, during his formative year during his formative years, and he would have these like he would have these stretches where you would think, oh, here's the Michael Saunders that that we think he could be, and then he would like miss you know another fifty game stretch. Uh, I mean, is this just a is this just bad luck for Aaron Altier, um, or is this something you know does he have, does he have problems? I think it's bad luck, and it's different injuries every time. It's not, right. mm-hmm. you know, there's the wrist in 15 or 16, the hamstring, uh, Achilles. I think it's uh, not Achilles, I'm sorry, uh, groin. And I just think that uh, it's just bad luck, And but some guys might have more of that injury prone bad luck than other guys do. And you got to protect yourself. You have to, you can't. Maybe he's not a guy you can right now depend on for a full season because he hasn't proven that he can play a full season. So you go out and sign an outfielder to protect yourself. And if he's a fourth outfielder or if someone else is your fourth outfielder, I think that's the way to, way to approach next season. Has the um, the internal viewpoint, so to speak, on Odubel Herrera changed at all? I'm not suggesting that it should have, but he's been hitting the ball so well for a relatively long period of time now. And the home run he hit Tuesday night 
uh, in Atlanta was was pretty incredible. I mean, that's that's like a nine iron out, you know, to to right field. Um, do the Phillies feel? Do you better? hit? Do you hit your nine iron? Uh, two hundred yards. Do I hit it two hundred yards? Probably I do. Yeah. I guess I, I guess that would be more like a, like one hundred fifty yards. Yeah, I guess you could hit your nine iron. I hit my iron. So you hit yours nine iron two hundred yards. I hit it six hundred yards, two hundred yards, however many yards I need mm. to hit it. All right. Anyway. Anyway, um, is is the feel? Do they feel better about him in that? Okay, this is the hitter we always thought he could be, and so it's easier to put up with his space cadet moments on the bases and you know throughout every game. Yeah, I think so. And, and he's going to take time to grow as a, a person. Like, you know, you talk about the space cadet stuff. And you, it's easy to put up with that kind of stuff when he's hitting. Like, that, you know, the home run you talked about, that was incredible. Where he's just had this the whole – since June 1st, he's been on fire. And this is the guy that, you know, you thought he was when you signed him this offseason. And, and maybe that contract is starting to look a little smart, smarter than it was maybe in before June 1st. Yeah, I, I think he's a piece going forward, I, at least for now. You know, you, you, you don't know the full picture of what he is yet, and that, that's fine. And I think you have plenty of time to find out. But, you know, the second half of the season, that he's really showed that, that he could be uh, a piece going forward. And I, I think right now it's worth it to, you know, consider him that. Absolutely. I mean, like, like, I think you're easy to write him off to... because of the stupid stuff he does. But it, you can – the stupid stuff has kind of minimized a little bit over the last three months, and the production has just you know skyrocketed. So yeah, I mean you got to you, you can't. I think he looks great. Yeah, I mean he spoke in English last night for what it's worth too. I mean I know that I'm was sure a big Schmitty controversy about that. Yeah, but uh, he post game in full English. So, so was that a tribute to so, Dutch Dalton? Maybe that was. That he was t- sitting around talking baseball after the game. Since June first in fifty seven games, Adubo Herrera is hitting three thirty with a three eighty on base percentage, nine fifty one OPS. Um, over the last two years, only six center fielders have a better OPS than Herrera's seven eighty two. Mike Trout, Charlie Blackman, Dexter Fowler, Andrew McCutcheon, Jock Peterson, and Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, he's got That's a pretty incredible. He's got a higher OPS this season than Lorenzo Cain, who made eleven million dollars in arbitration this season. Um, and, then, and now here's one, too. You want to talk about Herrera's contract. Um, Adam Jones, at the time of the contract extension he signed with the Orioles in 2013, had a 781 OPS and was averaging 24 home runs per 162 games. Um, Herrera currently has a 781 OPS and is averaging uh, 17 home runs per 162 games. I mean, Jones signed a contract that was like twenty million dollars a year. Um, so we, you just got to keep in mind what you're talking about right. when you're when you're trying to run this guy. Like Adubo Herrera is far exceeding his product, the production yeah, warranted just, by his just contract. Yeah, because he's guaranteed. He's the only guaranteed contract. His contract is not making anything. Right. Exactly. And then when he when he does, like he's gonna uh, the contract to me. It just I guess he wanted the money, but it doesn't make sense because he goes to arbitration. Like you just rattled off. Um, whoever made eleven million dollars this season in arbitration, Go on, he's going to make way more than what yeah you know what Adubel signed. He, he's arbitration is going to be worth by the time he gets there. But it was a, it was a smart deal, and it's just it's looking like they you know they got a really smart deal because he's you know he's becoming that player that you thought he was. So here's so there was a, also a moment Daniel Nava did not look too happy with Adubel Herrera when they almost collided in a I mean it was a great play it was it was amazing play by Herrera. Uh, in terms of athletically, the range that he covered to chase down a ball in the left center gap at the wall. Uh, but but it, 
pretty clearly Daniel Nava was there for the ball. Uh, and then afterwards, yeah. I'm sure you saw this. Herrera looked like he was trying to joke with Nava, and Nava looked like – I mean, Nava's kind of a tight ass. Yeah. Um, but, like, what – Daniel Nava <laughs> was not having it. But, uh, I mean, just naturally, like, by disposition. Uh, he's a very – Daniel Nava's trying to get traded, and, you know, he can't risk getting injured. I mean, so. was, he piss- was he pissed? But I think he just – I yeah, I think he – I'm sure Odubel said he called for it. Pete McCann said he wants his center fielder any ball in the air. It's it's his to get. All right. But I guess Nava was there, like you said. He was calling them off. Both of them didn't hear each other or just didn't listen to the other one calling them off because they thought they had it. Right. And it looked like it was going to be that Perkins Odubel catch in Miami last month when they fell into each other in like a romantic moment. <laughs> speaking but of speaking they of romantic, that. Speaking of romantic and, and moments, it's, it's, it was fine by the end of the game. All right. All right. So speaking of romantic moments, Zach Eflin pitched for the Phillies last night. And uh, I know he's one of your super secret faves. Um, did he looked good last night? He right? did look good last night. So is somebody there, told you, me that he pitched terrible. I'm like, what are you talking about? What game did you watch? What's that? Somebody tweeted at me this morning. He pitched. He was awful last night. <laughs> like, it was not me. All right, it was the Russians. Yeah. yeah what game did you watch? Um, so my question about Eflin is: Does the organization look at him and say? He's just got to sort a couple of things out, and we still have high hopes for him. Or is this is it a situation where he almost has to kind of reprove himself all over again? How far does he have to go, I guess, before the organization will start to look at him and say, "Okay, we can we could possibly count on him to or you know include him in the discussion for the rotation next season." He's he's definitely part of that mix, but there's like you know six or seven guys that are like Murph wrote about earlier this week about how none of these guys are panning out the way that you expected. And it, it's taken time for all of those guys to really prove that they're a part going forward. But there's a mix of, you know, six or seven arms that you could call, you could say are going to fit in those five spots. And I think he's definitely in the mix. He's had nights like this before. Um, he had the two complete games last year. He started this season with five really good starts and then kind of fell apart. So he's got to prove to be consistent, and that's what he's going to get the rest of the season. As long as he, you know, pitches well, he's going to stay in the rotation. He'll start Sunday against the Mets. Um, he's just he he made some adjustments to AAA when he went, when he got sent down. He the way he stands on the rubber, which to us sounds like such a minor thing, but it can make a you huge know, difference. Go a long way for a guy like that. He's now standing in the center instead of standing on the left or the right, which he switched the last two seasons. Said so that was a big thing. Um, his fastball was really good last night. When that's good, he pitches the contact, and he he's a ground ball pitcher. So when he's got the good fastball command, he can keep it low. That's when he's going to have good nights. Um, his off-speed stuff was solid. It wasn't as good as it as it could be, especially early in the game. But it seems like as the game went on, he found more comfort in it. But I think he's definitely a candidate. He he's a, definitely a guy that I would I wouldn't write him off. No, but I—I I mean, he's his his ceiling. I think is a number five starter. Uh, he, sure, he's not the ace, but he's—I think he could be a—he could be in the rotation next year. I—I uh, I don't think that's like a stretch. Uh, no, I mean not—not not when you look at the competition. Um, Eflin is first. Exactly. So you, one of these guys has somebody has to emerge, and and why not? You know, he be the one guy, the guy that emerges. Uh, Eflin in his first five starts this year: two point eight one ERA, seventeen strikeouts, four walks in thirty two innings. Um, and then he had just a brutal stretch yeah. uh, where he gave up seven runs, eight runs, seven runs, um, walking five in the process and striking out eight. Uh, and then last night, uh, which would be Tuesday, 
Uh, seven innings, two runs, three strikeouts, one walk. Um, and a Freddie Freeman home run banger. Uh, he good, Freddie Freeman. Do you think so? He, he, you mentioned the piece that I I I wrote a couple days ago. Do you think there's any ch- what what is this team? Is this is this team just going to be this again next year, or is there? I mean, are they gonna? You mentioned spending some money. I mean, the pitching staff would seem to be an area. I just don't see how this team improves markedly if they if they are going four out of every five days. Um, with virtually no chance to win. With virtually no chance to win. Yeah, I would talking about spe- the spending money. I would say you're going to spend the money. It's not going to be an exciting thing. Maybe a, a pitcher on a one-year deal, um, someone that kind of because if you think maybe you only have four set arms, so you, you add that one veteran pitcher to be somewhere in the in the five starting pitchers, yeah, you and then need, prime the back end of the bullpen. You spend some money. Um, so they're satisfied with these four set arms. It, I mean, this is going to be another like they're not ready to to you know try to at least be i mean i look back at what pete mccann had said and i mean there were some pretty high hopes for this team in terms of like this was not going to be you know another year in which they're just kind of like treading water treading water and floundering like it was like hey we're at a point where we can actually compete but like you just can't compete when you don't have any starting pitching whatsoever uh like is sure. vince Vel- like, no, I, so I is vince velasquez just going to keep running out there gonna be competitive is vince velasquez just going to keep running out there is that what the plan is with him it could be, but that, that decision hasn't been made yet. That's something that probably the rest of the season will stay in the rotation, and then after the year they, they talk and say, all right, is, does he move to the bullpen, or or did he show enough in the last two months of the season that we can keep him in the rotation? But I think next season they're they're going to be um, you know, just the same. They're not building for next year, but you'll see a lot of these prospects, Scott Kingery and J.P. Crawford and Reese Hoskins, Jorge Alfaro, um, you know, a lot of these guys are going to get to the majors. Nick Williams will start in the majors, so he'll have a full season. It'll, so it'll be a lot more interesting team. You'll see, you'll be able to maybe um, imagine that this this could be a contending team in a few years, but I, I still put them on track to be competitive in 2019, uh, spend the money after 2018, going into 2019, and then 2020 is when – most of this core is going to be in the majors, and I would think they'd be uh, contending in 2020 for a uh, playoff spot. Franklin Colomb, 22-year-old, uh, one of their better mid-level or one of their better kind of upper minors, I guess you would say, pitching prospects, was just promoted to Double A Reading. What have you heard about him? Is he still? He was a hot name a couple couple years back, maybe before last season. Um, what what's the expectation out of him? Cause, I mean, he is 22 years old, so he, he could be arriving shortly. Yeah, I, that's a guy that you're going to see in the majors next season. Um, and, yeah, really hot name when he was at Williamsport and Lakewood. kind of um, fell off a little bit on Lakewood, but he's been solid um, this season to get the double-A Redding. And and the one thing about the starting pitchers at the in the low levels of the minors compared to the ones that, you know, you wrote about this group that has gotten in the majors or is in AAA and pushing to the majors. Most of these guys were acquired via draft or international signing. So they're not guys, you, you know, when you make a trade for a pitching prospect like the Phillies did, you're not going to get somebody's, no. you know, right. power arm or top pitching prospect. So they kind of got, not cast offs, but they got second tier pitchers. And I mean, that's like by definition, you're, that. by definition, you're getting a guy that the other organization was willing to let go of. Exactly. And, and you weren't giving up 
like superstar. You like Chase. You were giving up um, Jimmy Rollins and right. and uh, Marlon Bird and you know guys. That, so you weren't going to get superstars back. But the guys that you know we're talking about now of uh, Kilame and Jojo Romero at Clearwater and Sixo Sanchez at Lakewood are guys that were all and Drew Anderson are guys that the Phillies signed or drafted themselves. So it'll be interesting to see that wave I think is going to have more talent and more potential than, than the wave that kind of got to the majors already, or is at least near the majors. Yeah. I didn't, do you remember the name Derek Fisher at all? This is completely, and I'm not talking about the guy who yeah. won a, like four titles with the Lakers. Uh, he was the, the Astros guy. Yeah. So, so when the, when, yeah, the one the Phillies could have had, right. When the Phillies first traded, uh, for Ken, first trading Ken, Ken Giles to the Houston Astros. At first, the report was that they had they had acquired a guy who was actually a, a relatively local guy from Cedar Crest High School, Lebanon, PA, University of Virginia. Derek Fisher, uh, left-handed bat, power bat. Uh, that was that was the initial report, along with Vince Velasquez. Nick uh, was Nick Williams in that deal? No, he was in the Hamels deal. That's right. No. Uh, wasn't didn't they get a hit? Uh, Brett, Ober, Ober, Brett Oberholzer, uh, Nick Williams, Tom Eshelman, and uh, Mark Appel. Okay, so wait, w- Williams was or was Williams it? was not in the Astros deal. Oh no, who, Williams was not in. Was there a hitter? Williams in, that deal? in the, the Cole Hamels trade. That's right. It was all that was all pitchers. So, any, but but Fisher was yeah. supposed to be the guy, and then there was like, you know, like a lull in the reporting, and then all of a sudden Mark Apple was the guy. So right. they they actually preferred Apple. Mark to, Appel. Sorry, I like him. I like calling him Apple. You, you've always said that. Um, Derek, so Derek Fisher, they they actually opted for Mark Appel after after Vince Velasquez's MRI turned up some junk, right? Is that what happened? Yeah, that's yeah. They they saw that. We had a, some concerns about his health, so they wanted what they thought was more of a sure thing. And you, know, you got to give <laughs> it to Pell instead of Fisher. And now Fisher, people weren't that high on Fisher, and now Fisher's in the main. Uh, it, it seems like that was probably you know the, the wrong move for me because Appel has not yet to obviously read the majors battled a lot of injuries it's been pretty awful at AAA this year and now Fisher and Derek Fisher's in the majors Fisher, Fisher's in the majors and he's cooled off a little bit since a uh since a really hot start I think he's four for his last 26 with 10 strikeouts but uh hitting overall 254 with the 342 OBP 790 OPS a few home runs uh it's just kind of hubert I mean yeah. it's not it, you got to keep in mind this this Clintac and McPhail have been here for a year and a half. Yeah. Um I mean the only one these the only guys they have are are the Astros guys from the, the Giles trade. Um you know and the then, Rangers guys from the Hamels trade. Well, I think Amara technically. No. No, it's right. He made that. It's right. Yeah, he Amara was a GM. Um but yeah, like that's how recent and then the two first round yeah. draft picks. Uh you hearing anything about Cornelius Randolph? Like is there any hope for him? He's actually, I don't know if you looked at his stats, he's really hitting well. Is he? And um, Not, for the I mean, last maybe oh. month or two. Okay. But uh, that's a guy that, like, it's all the attention. Like, it's like, you know, have you heard of him? Because no one talks about him now. Right. Because yeah. you, you've moved on to the Mickey Moniak and Adam Hazley, Sixto Sanchez. All the attention is away from Cornelius Randolph, who was the first-round pick just two years ago. And now he's he's in Clearwater. He probably shouldn't have started the season in Clearwater, but they wanted to keep his bat down there the, the, with the weather being warm instead of sending him to Lakewood because he had such a good spring training. Got out of the gate slow, but now he's holding his own. He's really having a good season. And it would be interesting to see how they push him next year because he is young. 
And if he starts at double A or if he just starts at Clearwater again, then has to push himself next season at double A. But he's kind of quietly having a really good year. Well, or at least a really good second half. Well, they need it. They need yeah. to knock this next one out, uh, they do. out of the park, too. And you need to go get something to eat other than fruit snacks. So thank I you, do. Matt. Yeah, go buy, go get some protein, buddy. Oh, well, I'm going to have a veggie burger. All right. <laughs> All right. See ya. Thank you. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Thank you.